Thank you very much for listening again. Just before you start listening, we'd like to apologise for the poor sound qualities at points during this recording. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the All Nations Football Podcast with myself, Joseph, and my very good friend, Noe. Hello there. So, how's your week been, fella? Yeah, not too bad. Um, we're recording, obviously, on a Tuesday rather than a Monday, so I've had a whole week, I've had a weekend, and then I'm back on the week again. It's my it's my birthday um tomorrow as well, so pretty exciting times to be had. Yes, we are having a little beer while we're on uh, we're on here at the moment, which is not something we always do, but it seems like it was my birthday on the weekend and your birthday this week. Uh it felt only right, didn't it? We're 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 the same age, right? We're both in our twenties still, yeah. That's correct. <laughs> yeah, I mean I suppose the last time we lived in Cardiff or the last time we, we were seeing each other more regularly you were in your twenties, so I was going to say, and the last time we seen you, haven't, you haven't looked like, don't look like you've uh, aged a day anyway, mate. I'll give you that much. No, exactly. I'm still, still 28. Yeah, you're still a perler. Still a perler. <laughs> anyway, enough girth now. Let's talk about football. Um, we are going to be talking about Scotland in depth this week, as promised last week, but we, it would only be right that we finish. Um, we finish what the Premier League has started now. It's, it's finished this week. We've seen the relegations. We've seen big changes in the top four as well. Um, but we're going to start by talking about the battles at the bottom because um, there was a lot of drama. I don't think we've ever had like such a, uh, a relegation battle like this for a few years where there's been, you know, sort of three different uh, potential outcomes to the end of the day. And it made for like an amazing, amazing watch, uh, didn't it? It's a wee bit of a shame that um, there wasn't fans, of course, because you, you didn't get to see all the tension from the fans. But yeah, no, it was a good, um, it was a good end. The relegation battle was a good end, though it was a little bit disappointing the way in which like Villa stayed up with like little drama. It was a shame that like may, maybe it would have been more fun if they'd gone behind after five minutes and then Jack Grealish had scored in the 90th minute. That would have made for excitement. Well, let's let's talk about a little the games then. We'll, we'll yeah. start with West Ham and, uh, and Villa. That was the game. Um, I think we've been big advocates of Aston Villa on this pod uh, over the, the course of the season, and and certainly in the last couple of weeks, um, I'm I'm certainly been a big admirer of their sort of fighting spirit. And I, I did say that you know I, I fancy them. I think they could get something out of it just because they, they didn't give up. Um, no. and it was evident even in the big games, the games against Liverpool, against Manchester United, they, they really turned up and, and, and they, you know, they, they, they fought. And again, against West Ham, um, aside from like what you just said there, you know, they, they, I don't think they were in maybe as obvious, as much danger as the other two, but obviously you're still playing with that pressure, you know, you don't know how the other results are going to go. Um, and yeah, it was. It was just nice to think it was more of a fairy tale ending, wasn't it? With that the Jack Greenish goal, certainly be interesting to see what happens now because we were saying a couple of weeks if they go down, does Jack Greenish does Jack Greenish go or does he stay? Um, I think that'll be a very interesting call now. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm happy for Aston Villa. I think they, I think they full fully deserve being given another shot next season. Um, it's a massive club, and I think if they spend the right money in the right areas, you never know where they could go. In agreement, I I think Jack Grealish will leave. If I'm honest, I think I think he he's away this summer. Um, one of my favourite footballers is John McGinn, and he obviously plays in that midfield with Jack Grealish. And I actually think both of them are have been key to Villa staying up. And I think it's going to be pretty difficult for Villa to keep either of them past um, this transfer window. So if that is to happen, then they're really going to have to sign well to stay in the league next year, otherwise they could end up struggling again. Uh, I don't know also, though, if you notice, they they also sacked their head of recruitment. So they obviously feel like they didn't sign well in the summer last summer. 
I think well they spent a lot of money, didn't they? I think they, they yeah. did throw the exactly. they did throw the uh, the wallet at it. Hundred million spent on on players and whatnot. But I mean Aston Villa, you know, are a club where we should be challenging in the top half of the Premier League. So and they've got the stadium, the fans, and the infrastructure yeah. around it to be spending that sort of money and have that sort of ambition. So you know, I can kind of maybe see why that decision was made because I wasn't aware of accidents until you said it, but then. There hasn't been too many signings that have come off for them, and I think maybe some of the bigger players. Was it Wesley, the big, the big yeah, striker they Wesley signed? Yeah, Wesley up top. Yeah, yeah, he didn't hasn't really paid off, and I know he's been injured. But a couple of the ones that they really needed to come in and do the business um, haven't managed to get it done. Uh, before we move off of this game, I think we need to give a quick shout out to West Ham and David Moyes because for a long time, I, I, at one point, I had West Ham down. I, I didn't think they were they were going to come back from it. And another person that I cursed was a Michel Antonio. Um, he scored eight goals in his last six yeah. games. Do you know, Incredible. though, um, ironically, he had a dreadful game against Villa and had to get subbed off at half-time because he, he was going to get himself sent off. But apart from against Villa, he, he did, you're right, he did have a good end to the season and probably without him, they may have got relegated. Yeah, so he deserves massive credit and so does, um, and so does David Moyes, really. I know he, he's sort of a pantomime character now isn't yeah. he yeah and, and he does get a lot of stick but he's coming to West Ham when they were really struggling and he steadied the boat again he did this before and they sacked him it'll yeah. be interesting to see if they give him the transfer budget and whether they keep on going because I don't unfortunately for boys I just don't I don't think anyone sees him as being progressive and that is the truth but it'll be interesting to see what happens there David Moyes is obviously someone else that I admire greatly yes well as a fellow Scott as a fellow Scott yeah he, funny enough, um, not to go off too topic, but he, funny enough, gave away a penalty in the 1991 League Cup final to uh, help Hoops Leafs win the League Cup. So th- for that reason alone, he's a legend. How old were you then? 25? <laughs> 32. <laughs> no, I was four. Um, anyway, we move on. Um, so you got Watford and Arsenal next, uh, which was, I think... Without being too harsh, I did say on the pod the other week as well, I'm kind of happy what they're going down. And I could, we called it, didn't we? You know, getting yeah. the Pearson at that time was... I can't get my head around it. I can't imagine what it must be like to be a Watford fan because I, I can't get my head around it. <clears throat> Excuse me. He, he came in, did a fantastic job. Um, I say fantastic job. He did better than, you know, previous managers had done, particularly coming into that team. Uh, in the position they were when he did come in. They've got good enough players. Like, Watford shouldn't have been in a relegation battle this season. I, like I've said to you, um, message as the games were going on, players like Ismail Assar, I think he's yeah. been playing at the top of the Premier League. I, I think they've got, you know, some of them there, Pereira, they've got the potential to be doing it at the top. So, it, it's, it was weird finding him in that position anyway. But then, when you see how the club is run, um, we just think we discussed it last week, didn't we? I think they've had like 13 managers in nine years. Yeah, just it's ridiculous. ridiculous. That's just ridiculous. Um, so, yeah, in a way, they were kind of asking for it. Um, and I kind of feel sorry for their fans. But again, if you run a football club like that, what else are you expecting? I feel sorry for Elton, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Does he still own the club? Or does he, have a, does he own the part of it? I think he's still got shares in the club, yeah. Elton, I mean, they're going through enough um, bosses. Why does Elton not just take charge of the side? <laughs> yeah, well, you can't do any worse than Hayden Mullins anyway. Um, exactly. So but, let's talk about a bit about the game anyway. Uh, yeah. Arsenal went 3-0 up very comfortably. No fight at all from Watford, really. Um, obviously, Arsenal are in a good way at the moment. Um, yeah. Sort of what you were expecting to see. Aubameyang, lovely little bicycle kick. Um, and just some great goals all around. Uh, uh, the, fir- the first time I've seen VAR used... I think that's a bit of an exaggeration. I think VAR have been used no. before. Well, no, in terms of going back and looking at a decision, you know, they did it how it should have been done. They let the play go on, they went back and reviewed it, and then they gave it. And I don't think I've seen it. Um, how much football do we watch? Where yeah, gone, yeah that's, that's, been a, that's been a correct decision, if I'm being also, completely honest. No, I agree. It was. It was really well done. Um, I do think VAR has been used well in previous matches. But yeah, I agree. It was really well done. 
It's exactly what. Are you, what are you on about get. when? Are you on about when Bruno Fernandez fouled that player and got a penalty? <laughs> well, every Manchester <laughs> that was given this season was deserved. I don't think there's any debate about that. But no. So no, you're right. You're right. It was. It was used correctly. That that's where VAR is used, right? That's why people would argue we need VAR because without VAR, that's not a penalty. Maybe maybe Arsenal don't go and, and get three goals early on, and maybe Watford attack them, and maybe they they lose a goal and they don't win that match, and then um, Villa go down. So it's um it's a crazy world, the world of football. Um, but also. The other point I wanted to make was Kieran Tierney scored for Arsenal and he became the first Scot to score for Arsenal since the early 90s. I thought this, I thought the finish was a bit soft. Tame. It was tame. Very tame. I, did, it, would it, did it take a deflection? It took I a could... massive deflection. Yeah. I could... I, I'm, I'm just praying it doesn't go down as an OG, if I'm honest. Well, I couldn't quite, I couldn't quite make out, um, I couldn't quite make out the first time that I'd watched it if that was, if that was the case. No, uh, no, it's it's a, a, it's he's in the position deflection. at the right time, and he deserves it. He's he's been a, a good player for Arsenal so far, and um, I think there's a lot more to come from him as well. Which Arsenal fans can look forward to. Um, one player though, uh, Danny Welbeck, obviously former Arsenal player. Yeah, scored one of the goals and had an unbelievable chance to make his three three, and he tried to do that ridiculous back heel um, instead of just getting in the net and getting the job done. And then it's three three. You know, I'm not actually sure of the connotations and all that might have affected the league or whether it would have made a difference, but I just thought that was absolutely criminal to be doing that at that, if it, if, that stage if, again. If it goes stayed, in, of course, but... If it stayed at 3-3, um, Watford still would have been down. A couple of points there. One, I actually think it was maybe what he could do with with stretching for the ball and stuff. I, I think he felt that... They, it was the best thing that he could do in terms of taking the shot away. And two, it was actually a very good save. I think, like, the boy tips it round the post. Again, it, it was a valiant sort of... It was a, it was a valiant fight back from, from Watford. And, but, I, again, we'll, we'll, we'll move on. But I, I, I think that yeah. it won't be a loss to the, to the Premier League, to be honest with you, because it's become like a circus down there now. And you can't keep a manager in a job for more than six months. You don't deserve to no. be in the Premier League. It's not no, a business model. Of course you didn't, and that's why they that's why they they kept fighting relegation, they kept sacking managers, and it was always going to happen eventually. They were always going to go down because they they didn't they didn't have a long term plan. Um no, not at all. It's actually quite frustrating. It annoys me a little bit how badly run Watford had, to be honest with you. Talk about uh we'll move on to the to the next game now. Obviously Bournemouth, uh, the other team yeah. were in the relegation scrap and you touched it on about having a long-term plan, and this is a team that's um, existed in the Premier League because they had a yeah. fantastic uh, model and, and the way that they wanted to play and the way that they, they marketed themselves, yeah. um, their business in the transfer market. They've been a credit to themselves. I think it's five years. Is it five years they've been in the Premier I think it's Premier five League. years too, yeah. And, and to be there, they've got an 11,000 capacity stadium. You know, They're not making money on the turnstiles. A lot of it's uh, what they make, um, obviously, through TV revenue and things like that as well. And so to just exist as they have that, and like you know, a bigger Eddie Howe, I think every time you speak about them on the podcast, but um, they they are going to be a loss to the Premier League. And the way that they they came at Everton in that game was fantastic. You know, right. like it was so admirable. Um, and they didn't know they had to play with the scores on the screen as well, which I think was wrong because they knew what was going on in the other games. So to just go out and apply yourself and know, you know, the exact situation you were in and then to find yourself at the end of the game, you still don't know whether you've gone down or not, but you've done your job. It's a horrible way to go down. That considered, did they manage to do the other bits right? Did they, should they have expanded the stadium? Um, did they cover themselves in other areas in the transfer market? Because they've found some gems and there's been, I think there's a lot of players who've been at Bournemouth this season who will get good moves. Um, Callum Wilson, Nathan Ake, those type David players. Brooks. David Brooks, yeah. Um, but, you know, did they, they had a lot of injuries and uh, they didn't obviously have sufficient cover, a lot of young players coming through um, and they just sort of run aground, didn't they? Run ashore, as they say. Yeah, I don't think they they ever had faith that they could establish themselves as a Premier League side for a long, long time. It's a tough one with Bournemouth because... 
like them a lot and they've got two players that I really admire in Harry Wilson and David Brooks. Uh, I, I went, I've been to Bournemouth to watch Cardiff play and I remember when we watched Cardiff play, when I watched Cardiff play Bournemouth there, it was like going to a lower league stadium. It was like, I'm sure you remember going to all these fun, like lower league stadiums. Bournemouth was one of those that you enjoyed going to because it had all the like passion, all the fun of like lower league football. Unfortunately, they are quite a small football team. And I think if they'd expanded their stadium and they'd got, like said, made it a 30,000 capacity stadium, they paid hundreds of millions to do it. They, they brought in, then they brought in bigger players. I just don't think they could have sustained like that because they don't have a massive fan base. I think they were sensible. I think they they had they have a they worked within their fan base. It worked within what they had, and they did really well within it. So no, I I think what Bournemouth have done is completely correct. And had they not had so many injuries, they probably wouldn't have got relegated. So no, I, I don't think I don't think they've actually done anything wrong. I think it's just unfortunate that they've run their time in the Premier League. Yeah, I, unfortunately, unfortunately, sorry. I don't think they're going to be returning anytime soon. I have to agree with you on on the first point there, and I, I'm only saying it to give a band's perspective. And you're right; there's only certain they were working within the confines of what they had, and as a prospect of growing and stuff, particularly like the fan base, the area, and stuff. There wasn't there's not yeah. much room for growth. On a return to the Premier League, however, I think if they can keep keep the core of players there, and they're down, they're definitely going to lose. I think Nathan Ackage is probably the one everybody is looking at. Um, yeah, players probably. like Callum Wilson, they'll fetch a fair price. Um, but I think if they can keep the core of players there, I, I don't see a reason why they can't come straight back up, to be honest with you. And obviously the manager is the most important one that they have to try and retain because I think, you know, any, any sort of aspiring team in the Premier League um, would be looking at him. And I think if you gave him a bit of money as well, yeah, you you know you know you never know what Eddie Howe could do, but um, anyway, we'll move on from the, the relegation battle now. We're going to go back to the talk at the top. So we had the of course the Champions League places were yet to be decided. Um, of course, Liverpool and Man City sewn at one and two, but third and fourth place were yet to play for. Um, and of course, the big clash to decide that mainly was the Leicester and Manchester United game. Aye. Um, I've got to be fair I, I did fancy United before the game anyway um, of course since lockdown they've come back they've had that ruthless mentality um, yeah, definitely yeah they stumbled in the FA Cup but I think Leicester uh, they just fired too early in this season is how you feel to be fair I think Leicester came out flying at the start of the season while Chelsea and Man United flopped Leicester, Wolves and Sheffield United pounced on Chelsea and Man United having slow starts. Well, season. they were second for a long time, weren't they? Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, I think Leicester finished probably where they should have finished in fifth place. I think that's about fair for them. I think, I think overall they they had a very good season, and they've only finished in the top five twice um, in like sixty years, apparently. Obviously, the other time they finished in top five, they won the league. So. No, I, I think Leicester have done well. I think Brendan Rodgers has done a good job there. I think overall Leicester should be pretty happy with their season. But they did uh, slip a lot towards the end of the season, so they will need to look at that for next season if they want to go for the top six again. Yeah, and again, the same problem with Leicester is trying to, as we touched on it before in previous parts, players. Uh, yeah, retaining the players yeah. is the biggest challenge they're going to have there. Um, I think it's a deserted top four. Would you agree? Yeah, I think so. Um, it's crazy though. Had Man United and Chelsea shown the the form that they showed towards the end of the season all season, maybe the whole top four would have been a little bit closer. Although I'm not saying they would have been anywhere near the title, but they, like second place would have been a lot closer. Yeah, well, well, the interesting fact is, yeah, Man United finished third, still closer to the relegate, getting relegated, than they are to winning. Yeah. The Premier League, you know, or so closer, I should say, to getting relegated than than winning the Prem, um, which kind of shows you. But at the levels Liverpool and, and uh, Manchester City have set over the last yes. couple of years, and um, again, everybody in United is going to be over the moon. I suppose at the same as Chelsea. Um, interesting that they were mostly the null and void brigade a couple of months ago when nothing was going for them, and 
you look a couple of months later and you're third and it's all looking gravy and you've got a Champions League spot and it's fair to say it's, it, it, it can make playing in the Champions League is the difference between challenging for a title and and not um, and it's how it was the same for Liverpool they had seven or eight years of not being in the Champions League consistently and within two seasons the Premier League champions just mainly because of the players that are available to you so it's going to be interesting and um, I suppose that the, the next thing is then how, how Frank Lampard and Oli Gunnar Solskjaer if you were to give them a rating out of 10 each of them what would you give them though? Uh, Lampard I would probably give his first season I would give it a 7 and Shoska um, there's still the Europa League to play but I'd probably give him a six and a half. So, do you want me to explain them a little bit further? Yeah, because I think they're, I think they're harsher they're, than what I was expecting quite to say. So, Joe's got six and a half because although he's done well with Man United, he struggled to find his best formation for long periods of the season. He struggled to fill gaps when he needed them. He um, didn't, when he did rotate, he got it completely wrong. Um, so, yeah, so they're my main points. And against some, in some of the bigger games, he just didn't seem to know what to do to win them. Um, he did sign Bruno Fernandes, of course, which maybe means that he should get a slightly, slightly higher rating. But no, that's why I would give him six and a half. Because I think overall, although my United did finish third in the end, I, I feel that's slightly luck rather than anything else. It's kind of because everyone else dropped points. Yeah, I... One thing I would say about that is, though, because obviously the, a lot of what people are saying attributed to Liverpool's yeah. good season is the fact that nobody else has been picking up points. But you can't do anything about how other teams are performing and you can only beat who is in front of you, as, as they say. And, and in fairness to United, they've, since they come back from lockdown, you, you know, yeah. a, win, a win is a win and three points is three points and they've managed to amass a lot of those. I don't, like I said, I, I don't think you can read too much into it because... So the season was a foregone conclusion in so many ways. You could have, we could have had another void and given it to Liverpool the the title in 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 February. Mm-hmm. And it would have been yeah. fair. You know that that was how certain and how how done the season was. So you know I think Man United have sort of capitalised on the fact that they have more to play for than a lot of other teams, um, and I think that's been reflected throughout the entire league. By the way, I think teams have just played. For what they want, you know, like, like whatever expectation is left. Especially yeah, Everton and Crystal Palace. Yeah, I mean, a loss means nothing now. Even to Liverpool fans now, it, it, it sort of meant nothing. Um, so yeah, I, I, you've got to give credit where credit's due. There, I, I for Solskjaer, I personally believe that um, that Frank Lampard has had the better season because, again, Man United have finished third, but they've got they've got a team that's worth. How much money? You know, he, he has had yeah, yeah. he has had time to pick players. Frank Lampard, on the other hand, I think now if you're looking at if he goes and wins the FA Cup, he's got him in the Champions League. He's lost his best player at the beginning of the season. He hasn't had. He, he's brought in kids uh, yeah. to supplement those. You've got to give him huge credit. Um, I mean, he could have won the Super Cup as well um, against Liverpool because Chelsea were probably the better team on that day, um, but. He, it just so happened that they never obviously went to penalties but yeah I think he's had an unbelievable season to be honest and I, I think the future looks very bright at Chelsea they just got to sort that defence out to be fair if they win the FA Cup I'd probably put from a 7 to an 8 and if Man United win the Europa League I'd put to 6.5 to 7.5 but but forgetting those two things for now Lampard the reason why his rate is slightly lower is because although everything that you said is completely fair I feel that for large parts of the season, he had issues a lot at the back and he wasn't able to solve them. These are the kind of issues in which you make it as a manager when you see when you see problems and you fix them and Chelsea can see too many goals. It's not like they play really free-flowing attacking football, so they should, they're just going to concede goals because of that. They, they're conceded too many goals because they're not good enough at the back at the moment. That's something that I think Frank Lampard um, has got to improve on. Well, it kind of brings me on to the next point before we move on to the off the Premier League. Um, the game against Liverpool for Chelsea, um, without having a swell head, I kind of felt that Liverpool really stuck three goals in the net without getting out of second gear. 
it, it was it was scary. it was it was scary and you could see the golfing class and in fairness to Chelsea they they, they fought back but they still ended up conceding five um, and that's again again I don't want to say Liverpool had them to play for but that was yeah. a case of team that's not particularly motivated and everybody knows it at the moment so anyway let's talk a little bit about the champions we, we you know we've touched on them a couple of weeks ago um, it's the end of the season now we've seen the crown in. Uh, they've got 99 points. The numbers are all there. They've matched Manchester City for the most wins in a season with 32 out of 38. Uh, yeah. The most away wins with 14 away wins. Um, they've broken all sorts of records across the season. Um, how good was, was this Liverpool team that we just seen? No, I, I think it's hard to really argue that this Liverpool side is a man's the greatest in in Premier League history and probably probably one of the greatest football clubs, um, one of the best sides to ever play in, in English football. They're really good. They attack really well. They've got they defend really well. They play as a unit. They they're fluid. The formations are fluid. Every, everyone knows their rules. Everyone within that side complements each other. Um, you don't have any massive egos. There's not really anyone within that eleven that you're thinking, oh, they're being carried by other players either. It's just, yeah, it's a very, very good team that Jurgen Klopp has built there, and he deserves a huge amount of credit because he's built that. He's he's not like he signed superstars. It's not like he's had hundreds of millions of pounds to spend on players. It's not like he's inherited a good side. He's made that whole team himself, and. Yeah, and it really is. If you'd put that side up against the best Man United sides of the late 90s, early 2000s, if you put it up against the recent Man City sides, I think I think it wins a lot of those a lot of those ties. So yeah, I think overall, I'm not sure that the greatest ever team to play in the Premier League, but they're definitely up there. Yeah, I think. It- it would be amazing, wouldn't it, if you could have you know like the '99 Trevor winners versus this yeah. Liverpool team? They've called them the Inevitables, and we've had the Invincibles, the Centurions. Uh, you've had the Chelsea teams, the Mourinho sides. You really can't you can't call it. Everyone has their own their own favourites, their own flavour. Mainly, it's determined by who you support a lot of the time, but. I wouldn't like to say that this team no. is better than the Invincibles or, or, or try no. and compare them to anybody like that. But I think some of the numbers, and not just that, just this season in general, um, it, it, it's, I don't want to say it's the most unforgettable season of football ever, but this, this season will go down in history forever. People will always remember this season. And it would have been so interesting to see you know, I'm just trying to imagine maybe what would have been if we didn't have the break. Could they have gone? Uh, I, know, I know we lost to, to Watford by that point, but I don't think we would have seen the same Liverpool team as we've seen when they came out of, of lockdown. I think we might have still been a bit hungrier. I'm, I'm The only thing I'm a bit weary of is now is Liverpool have been on a trajectory now for the last two, three years. And to maintain that sort of level is going to be so difficult and they're losing a couple of players now as well. Some of the older players, maybe some of the more, not being disrespectful, more average players, you could say, like Lovren and Alana um, leaving. I think they're quite mature and, and experienced players who've added a lot to that players group without actually maybe making the biggest contributions on the pitch. And if, say, like a James Milner was to leave, I think that would be like really damaging for Liverpool. Um, but yeah, in, in terms of... You see, you make some interesting points there, actually. Um, one, this Liverpool side's only beginning. And you talk about how people like Adam Lana, James Mona, um, uh, Lavoin, all leaving. I think if you, if you um, replace them well and you look at the youngsters coming through, in some ways, this Liverpool team could get even better. Well, yeah, and that's the that's the other thing. You, you see some of the kids that are coming through at Liverpool. Yeah. Um, obviously, Neko Williams has been a flavour yeah. of the month for Jurgen Klopp and he absolutely loves him. And this is a kid, you know, we look at Trent Alexander-Arnold, he's being revered as the Aye. best right back in the world at the age of 21. 
Yeah, his his stats and his assists are unbelievable. But we're talking about this kid maybe coming in and shifting him out of his position. He's got the potential to be that good, you know. I mean, he um, he, he, he might be the one that makes him end up being the central midfielder. Then I think everybody wants to see Chang play in the midfield. I don't personally agree that that's the best option. But you know, when you've got kids coming through of that caliber and people like Jurgen Klopp touting him that good. You know, you're absolutely right. The future looks bright in so many respects. And we've got Curtis Jones, obviously, I'm a massive fan of as well. So it, it, it will be interesting. Um, it's also yeah. great because Michael um, um, Williams has obviously got a Premier League winner's medal to his name. And um, this time next year, he'll have a year 2021 medal to his name too. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And then Welsh captain in future years to come. Bright, bright future for the lads. Right, well, no, yeah, congratulations to Liverpool and, and before I think we uh, we go off off the Premier League now, yeah. um, I think we should say well done to the Premier League for making this happen um, and just how how it's been run and how safely it's been done, considering all the deliberation that was taken out, all of the opinion that was thrown at it, um, the null and void brigade, everything. Just the just the fact that now we've we've come to the end and we've all got a we've got a solid conclusion. You could move on to next season. I think it was always going to be the right thing to do if it was could be done safely. And I think they deserve massive credit for making that happen in the way it is. First off, yeah, I completely agree. Second off, null and void um, brigade. To be fair, they had no evidence to to support their argument. And I think to be fair, the null and void. Um, brigade can get tough up because <laughs> they they were basing their opinions on absolutely nothing. Well, it was so, football, it was footballing rivalry, wasn't it? I think that's yeah. the one thing I'll always remember from this season as well was Liverpool were that good that some other fans wanted the season to be cancelled. I'll also remember other times when Man United fans making the same badge as Manchester City and trying to join the clubs in it in a joint bid to try and stop Liverpool winning the Premier League. Oh, all these other great moments across the season. I I think you've got to realise, though, I think you've got to realise these are absolute idiots on social media and they do not represent real football fans. The kind of idiots that you see in a pub drooling at the end of the night and chatting absolute shite. They're the kind of idiots that would go to a game and say, get your best player off after 20 minutes because he misplaces a pass. But it doesn't matter. They were wearing the colours and they said it, Owen, and they can all get to fuck, as you would say. <laughs> I anyway. might edit this out. <laughs> not editing it out. We're not. Anyway, we're moving on. Uh, we're moving on. Ethan. Uh, yeah, I think we should do the goal of the season, actually, because we have got it down on our list. So um, we, we had a little pre-discussion before this, haven't we? Obviously, we can't show you the list of any clips. Um, we're hoping that you've probably watched Match of the Day the same as us and been able to determine what goals you liked. But um, I'm going to go to Match of the Day, if I'm honest with you. Oh, there we are. Then you're just a better football fan than me, Owen. You could remember them by memory. Um, no, uh, I'm <laughs> going gonna, gonna to take my pick first. Um, it was there actually the goal. It was a goal from the weekend. It wasn't the one that Match of the Day gave, um, but uh, I think it was Kevin De Bruyne versus Norwich. Just because the way he shifts his feet, anybody who's seen the goal will know what I'm on about anyway, but just the way he shifts his feet, gets it out onto his right peg. Doesn't even really look at the goal and just wallops it in the top corner. Um, he is oh, it's a phenomenal. unbelievable player. Unbelievable. And maybe he might have felt hard done by not winning the, the player of the year, but there we are. I mean, I was going to pick every single penalty that Man United scored this season. But um, for me, the best goal of the season has to go to my man, San Heung-min. If anyone doesn't know me, I actually live a double life as an uh, Asian football correspondent as well. So I'm a big fan of San Heung-min's anyway. But yeah, his goal against Burnley was an absolute joy to watch. He runs from well inside his own half takes on like literally the whole team admittedly the Burnley defence is absolutely shocking but he still does take on the whole team and while still running that pace he knocks it past the keeper so yeah for me that was goal of the season for my man Son Hun Mian it was hard one to argue against as well but I thought I've got to throw I've got to throw another one into the hat uh, anyway let's move on now we'll uh, we'll talk about playoffs 
Um, you can you can probably tell the sad tone in my voice because um, my beloved Cardiff didn't cover themselves in glory yesterday against Fulham. Um, we'll start with that game because I'm being honest, I didn't watch the Swansea game. Um, I was very disappointed with Cardiff yesterday. Um, it's a team that you'd normally associate with, they call them the sort of blood and guts sort of approach. Um, and that's what they had under Neil Warnock, under Neil Harris. Um, people who haven't obviously watched Cardiff as much. Um, they've, still, they've still got a bit of that sort of gritty side about them, but they've been playing a lot better football. Um, but I think the reason that they've got managed to get into the playoffs is because I think the mentality of the team um, and the sort of experience that they have within the group, um, they're just a very hard team to beat. Um, but like yesterday, yeah, I, I, just, I was super disappointed. What have you got to say, o? Um, I'm not as disappointed as you are, if I'm honest with you. Um, first off, because we played Fulham a few weeks back at Cleveland Cottage, and we played a lot better than we did at Craven Cottage. But what happened was, I thought first half we were pretty decent and we could have gone in, in ahead at halftime had it not been for some great defending and some unlucky um, attacking from on Cardiff's side. The, he- the Hector think- challenge, the Hector challenge was unbelievable, I thought. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Hector's clearance off the line was very good. Um, also, Glatzo has a shot which he put straight at the keeper and really could have done a lot more with it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so no, I thought Cardiff start, started the game pretty well, but Fulham came out for the second half and they scored really early on for a lovely goal. And, but then after that, everything went their way. Every pass, they, they found their man. Every time Cardiff tried to um, defend, they still, they just always managed to find their man. Nothing, nothing went Cardiff's way in the second half. Um, everything went Fulham's way. And like that's not like a dig at a referee or anything. I mean, in terms of like how the game was played, like Fulham's passing was on point. They, they could pass it around three or four players and just find the space. They, they, they were by far the better team in the second half. But I don't think it was so much that Cardiff were poor. It's just that Fulham was so good in the second half. A couple of issues though, that I do have is I thought at times um, Cardiff City made the wrong decision and that kind of cost them. I thought Morrison was pretty poor in the second half. And yeah, that's I what guess, I mean. It was uncharacteristic yeah. performances. There was um, the, uh, the, the, the chance uh, Bobby Reid, who's not very liked down Cardiff City, um, He's a former no. Cardiff City player. Um, he, you know, he, you know, he scored a screamer because he, Morrison just didn't re- deal with a, you know, sort of a, basically a very simple route one yeah. ball coming down the channel. And that's some, you know, that's normally his bread and butter, those sort of balls. So it was just very uncharacteristic. And as you said, I think Fulham got confident from that. The wingers were yeah. trying all sorts of skill. Ah, exactly. The that's what I'm saying. I don't think the Cardiff fullbacks covered themselves in, in a lot of glory. If I'm being particularly honest, I um, thought Joe Bennett was poor actually saying that. Yeah, they they both were, uh, but yeah. they they were happy. They allowed the Fulham players to run at them, um, like Cabano who scored the free kick. Um, yeah, they've got those lively players, so you should be expecting that. But I just thought Cardiff would be so up for it, um, and and yeah, it, it was sort of an anti-climax. Maybe I got ahead of myself. I don't know because okay, a couple of weeks ago, this what this was a. Uh, Almost like a nothing discussion, really, we had on the pod, wasn't it? Like, oh, you know, Cardiff might be able to get into the playoffs. Likewise with Swansea. And it transpired on the last day of the season. Really exciting circumstances that they both managed to get in. And I don't know, I think, obviously, as a Cardiff lad, I'm just very disappointed. And I don't want to say that the game is at the tie is over. But, I mean, a 2-0 down. the tie is over. Yeah, you go into Craven Cottage and, you know, they got their tails up. The tie feels over. Um, but who knows? I'm obviously going to be back in City to the Ults. Um So yeah, let's let's discuss the other fixture now. Anyway, and just get it out of the way. So uh, okay, do you, you want me you to? Watch, I saw it. Yeah, you so, watched the game, so you you give the lowdown. Yeah, so it was pretty even. Brentford were maybe the better team um, for most for most of the first half. Then um, Swansea got a penalty, um, which they missed. But at that point, the momentum kind of seemed to go Swansea's way. 
And then Brentford had a sending off in this match. Rico Henry went for a challenge. Uh, he went sliding in and the referee decided that the slide was too aggressive and he was sent off. That red card has now been rescinded, which shows you that he, it was an incorrect decision, which is such a shame because it changed the game. And Swansea then in the end got the one 0 win. And for me, that's massive. This is a this is a semi final to get to a Premier League. The referee should not be making a mistake like that. So that in itself is such a shame. So I really hope Brentford get their own back and do go on and beat Swansea in the next round because they deserve it. They're a much better footballing team. They've got better players throughout the pitch. And to be honest with you, they should have won at the level. And I think they'll go on and win comfortably. Um, I think when they take Swansea back to Brentford, I think they'll win comfortably. And then, well, you've got the, the one thing Swansea have got going for them is the forwards are banging form, aren't they? Um, are you and, and Brewster? And Brewster, yeah. And, and so I, I don't know. I, I can't. I'm trying to be as unbiased as I can here, but um, I, I, I would I would like to see Swansea in the final, and for footballing reasons. Um, yeah. but I think Brentford deserve uh, a shot in the playoff final because of how good they've been across the season in the last couple of weeks they've kind of shown that they have got a soft belly um, and yeah. the one thing I would say about Brentford which maybe Cardiff and Swansea and Fulham have over them is um, I don't think Brentford's style of play is going to be that applicable in the Premier League you're going to be Even asked to be ripped to be honest no and that's what I mean I think maybe Cardiff and Swansea's more sort of gritty sort of approach which is obviously yeah. what the fans want to see but you've got more of a chance of playing like that and going up and, and playing open like I think Fulham and Brentford would do if they went to the Premier League so like you said it's all to play for and Brentford are quite capable of scoring like three or four goals on any weekend and they have been all right, season so you, you never know how it's going to go it'll be interesting but um, I'm still hoping that we'll have a, a South Wales derby at Wembley that'd be fantastic I think, I think to be honest with you I think Fulham and Brentford deserve to be the two teams in the final they're, they're, the, they're the two best sides in the playoffs they're the two best sides out, outside of the two that went up um, you could argue that on that day, they may be even better than West Brom. So, yeah, it, it should be a Fulham-Brentford final, really. Obviously, I don't want that to happen. But, yeah, I, I think if you're being if you're being fair, Brentford, it should be a Brentford-Fulham final. And I think Fulham will probably win it and go up. Oh, yeah. I don't, I'm not really sure. It's a very difficult one to call. I was going to say I would agree with you there. But, again, I, I've been wrong about so many things recently. So, I <laughs> wouldn't like to... Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't like to put a prediction on it. Um, anyway, let's move on. So, if you listened to us last weekend, you would have known that we announced we were going to do a little Scottish special this week. Um, we normally touch on Scottish football and we have a little segment every single week. But as the Premier League fin- season is now finished, and we are looking at the beginning of the new Scottish football season next week, um, we felt it was only right that we dedicated a bit of time to the league and give you, the listeners at home, a little bit of information about the league. Um, I myself cannot profess to be a huge fan of Scottish football. Not that I don't like the football, I simply haven't watched it. So, with that in mind, myself and Owen came up with a little idea a couple of weeks ago, uh, if you'd have listened to that pod, um, where I, at random, used a name generator to generate me a Scottish team to support this season. And I was very, very lucky. Very lucky indeed, for I drew the mighty Aberdeen. And this week, I've spent a lot of time reading up on Aberdeen. And I'm looking forward in, to this one. Oh, yes. I mean, I did draw lucky here. I really did draw lucky, I think. Um, not only have they got the best kit in the league, by far, um, but they've actually got a bit of history to back it as well. And it's not like one of the Glaswegian teams. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm very happy with my selection. So we, we decided anyway, we're going to give you a bit of a breakdown of the league. Um, I myself can only say that I've read upon Aberdeen this week. I don't know a lot about the Scottish League. Of course, I know a bit about Celtic and Rangers. Stereo, you know, we all sort of do it. You know, that's, of course, the marquee teams in the league. But we thought it was only right that we'd give you all a little breakdown of the league looking into next season. Um, so before we start, and Owen gives you the, the, his, his information and this list that he's made um, of the key information that you need to know about the team in the league, I'm going to start off with my team, Aberdeen. So 
I'm going to start to a bit of recent league history. Aberdeen have finished second in most seasons prior to the resurgence of, uh, of Rangers. Um, I, th- I think they finished something like second six times out of the last nine seasons or something along those lines. They won the Scottish Cup in 2014 um, and they've also made Scottish uh, Cup ap- and League Cup appearances, final appearances in, um, I think it was two or three seasons ago where they lost to Celtic. Um, in 2017. Yeah, 2017, thank you. Of course you would have known. Um, I still think it's impressive that I know this stuff, though, so don't don't say <laughs> me. Um, obviously, I think if we, I'm, I'm going to tell you a bit about the back history now. The one man um, who's synonymous with this football club is Sir Alex Ferguson, um, who's a name that we all know. He managed them for a period of uh, seven years or eight years, I believe. In this time, he he had quite the honours list. He won three league championships, four Scottish cups a League Cup, a European Cup Winners Cup, and a European Super Cup. And he also won a Driver Cup, wherever the fuck that is. It's a League Cup. Oh, it's a League Cup. There we are. It's a League Cup. Well, the reason reason Aberdeen have the two stars on their badge uh, is because uh, that's in reference to their uh, uh, Cup Winners Cup wins and the Super Cup win. Um, Two names that I was able to pick out from those squads uh, were Alex McLeish and Gordon Strachan, who uh, were the backbone of those teams. Um, I make out like I fucking watched them, don't I? (laughs) (laughs) And another interesting thing that I saw about Aberdeen um, was that actually Major League Soccer side Atlanta United acquired less than a 10% stake in the club for £2 million as part of like a strategic alliance between the two clubs. So they're actually part owned by an American football club, which is not something you see every day. Something I obviously knew. Oh, there we are. I bet, was this on your information list as well? <laughs> no, carry on. Have you got well, anything else to add? No, no, that's about as far as it goes. But I think that's a pretty good, <laughs> that's a pretty good rundown. Um, no, no, that's that's good. That's good. I'm actually going to give you a rundown from each team, but actually on how, like, for looking at this season. Oh, okay. So, well, I, I so, just thought that I had to. I, no, I had no, to no, 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 not at all. That's that's pretty good. But I'm going to go for. I hope any Aberdeen fans who listen to this now have validated my claim as a fan. By the way, <laughs> that's good. I don't think um, Rangers went out for the league for as long as that. So I think it was maybe three or four um, second place finishes. But other than that, are you trying to discredit my team, Owen? No, no, not at all, mate. Not at all. Right, we so, actually drew in. Oh, go on. Yeah, you. Um, yeah. Uh, enough of that. Um, <laughs> so, okay, so I'm going to give you from A to Z of the 12 SPL clubs. Unfortunately, um, Hearts are not one of them, which I know is a massive shame for everyone involved. So, okay, so we'll start with Aberdeen. Aberdeen, aside, as Joel said, are often competing in Europe, and I expect um, it will be the same this season that they will be competing for a top four finish. Um, they they look like a decent side, but they have lost a couple of players and their best player, their top goal scorer, not necessarily their best player, but their top goal scorer, Sam Cosgrove, could still be on his way out before then the transfer window. They have brought in jo- um, Johnny Hazel from um, Celtic. He was previously at Aberdeen. He's back now at Aberdeen and he could be a key player for them this season. He can play left back and he can also play on the wins. So he's a good versatile player for them to have. So overall, no, I think Aberdeen will once again be pretty good this season. Oh, we're bang on for the title, mate. We're, we're definitely challenging for the title this season. And finishing no, the top. No, no doubt in my mind. And finishing the top four. Then moving on from Aberdeen, we go to Celtic. Celtic are going for a record 10 titles in a row. Um, and they will probably do it. But they they expect to sign further players this um, this week, and they but they really do need a keeper and a striker, so they need to sign well with those in those two positions. Um, but overall, at the moment, they look by far the best team in the league. But they could still lose their biggest goal threat in Edward before the transfer window is up. Um, but Lee Griffiths, who um, was criticised for coming back from into preseason overweight has lost that weight and looks like he could still be a key player for them this season and to be honest with you it's pretty hard to look past him for the title 
And then we go to Dungeon United. Dungeon United have been newly promoted. They lost their manager, Robbie Nielsen, to heart, but have now got Mickey Mellon in charge, who has joined from Tramia. He's a Glaswegian. Their biggest goal threat is Sean Clint, who was the top goal scorer in Scottish football last season, and he will be their main threat this season. It looks like he will probably be there this season as well at the moment. It doesn't look like he'll be moving away. It's pretty hard to say how they would do because how they would do this season because they haven't signed a lot of players, but they were by far the best team in the Scottish Championship last season. If I had to put my neck on the line, I would say a top six finish for them. Just um, as I say, they've not made many signings yet, but they have brought in Jack Newman, a goalkeeper from Sunderland's under 18s, and they've got in uh, Luke, Luke Bolton, a left back from Man City's under 23s. We then go to Hamilton. Um, this time, I think they are down. They finished second bottom last season and pretty much every season they seem to just about stay up. They do have a very good youth set up though, which has really helped them. Um, James, for people who don't know too much about Scottish football, James McCarthy and James McCartney, the two boys at Palace, both came through the Hamilton youth ranks. Um, but they've, they've had to obviously make cuts and at the beginning of the month, they barely had 11 players to field. So I think it's going to be tough. They've, they've got a lot of players to try, try and settle in and a lot of players who have not played at this high level before. They have signed Ross Callaghan, though, from St. Johnston, who plays in the centre of the park. And I think he could prove to be a key player for them next season or this season. We then go to Hibs. And Hibs had a pretty poor season, or Hibernian had a pretty poor season last season. They finished seventh in the league, and to be honest with you, it was pretty poor throughout. Um, but this, this year, I expect it to be a much better season, and I think they'll be challenging up with Aberdeen for those top four spots. They've lost quite a few players, but no big players. Um, Florian Camberry, who was a striker last season, went along to Rangers in January, and the Hibs manager has said he does not want him back, even though he's not wanted by anyone. Up top, they've got Deutsch and Nisbet, who could prove to be an exciting strike pairing. Um, Nisbet has just signed on from Dunfermline, who, and he was a second top goal scorer in the league last year behind um, Lauren Shankland of Dungeon United. Kilmarnock then, um, after doing so well under Steve Clark, who then went on to become Scotland manager, they slightly struggled last season. They lost to Cornish Keys in the Europa League, which was a big issue. Um, they've, so again, that's the Welsh they've, team as well, isn't it? That's the Welsh Sorry team, the yep. Um, <laughs> they've just signed a goalkeeper from Aberdeen in Danny Rogers, so it'll be interesting to see how he does. Um, they're another side, though, like Hamilton and like a few in Scotland, they're working on a shoestring budget. An interesting signing they did make, though, was from Bournemouth's um, youth team, a boy called Senor Rossi, who's a big, solid centre-half. So it could be interesting. He could be a good um, signing for them. We then go to Livingston, uh, a side who finished in the top half last season, but I think they'll be struggling to do that again this season. But they're a team that's really difficult to beat and they play on a plastic pitch, which makes playing away at Livy very difficult. They have a very interesting um, back two centre-half pairing, in, as in they have Effie Ambrose, who has previously played for Celtic, is a Nigerian international who's played at World Cups. And then he is um, paired with Kieran Brown, who's actually a long knee from Cardiff City. So it's a very interesting strike pairing. They've also just signed a forward from the Indian League um, in a Slovenian called uh, Mati Poplarfink. Um, apologies if that's pronounced incorrectly. But with Livingston, it's pretty difficult to call, but I think they'll probably finish just outside the top six this season. We then move on to Mavwell, who finished third last season and will obviously be looking to finish in the top six again this season. Um, they also have European football, which in this time of COVID will really help them financially. Um, but it's going to be a tough for Mavwell to match their third place finish again this season. But they have signed Jack Hasty on loan from Rangers, um, who is a left winner. And I think this could he could prove to be a big player for them. We then go to Rangers. Rangers will, of course, be looking to try and win the title this year. 
but it is going to be very tough for them, I think, to be honest with you. Um, but they do they do have a good team, but I think man for man, I think that Celtic are just that bit better. They've got Morales, who looks almost certain to go out to Lowland France. Um, so their top scorer looks on his way out, but they could end up signing well if they get a bit of money in. Um, they have signed Hadji, who um, Joel uh, mentioned previously, and he it could be a big season for him. We then go on to Ross County. They've dealt with lockdown pretty well and well back financially, so um, they they should actually be okay this season. I think they'll finish in the bottom half, but I don't think they'll be safe from relegation. They they've had a bit of a turnaround in the squad. They've lost quite a few players this season, including Don Carey, who retired and moved on to the coaching team um, at Ross County. But yeah, they'll be a team that's interesting to look out for. But I think we'll struggle to finish anywhere above kind of ninth or tenth this season. We then go to St. Johnston. St. Johnston have a new manager in charge in Callum Davidson. Their manager left at the end of last season, Tommy Wright. Um, they've only brought in three players and they've lost quite a lot. So it, I think it's pretty diff- it'll be pretty difficult for them to finish in the top six as well. They've lost a key player in their winner, Dre Wright, who their previous manager said was his best signing, has moved on to Hibs in the league and then we go to St Mirren last but certainly not least for St Mirren who stayed up um, last season they signed a new keeper on long um, they signed a new keeper from Rangers in Jack Conwick and I think that would be quite key for them because they had a good keeper last season and um, a good defence and a good goalkeeper would be the key to staying in the league again and they will need goals again from Obika who was their key to goals last season. Then they'll maybe need a few more from again this this coming season. So yes, that's a lowdown on the Scottish Premier League sides. Amazing stuff. Yes. Um, no, thank you for that, mate. And like I said, I'm going to be keeping a keen eye now on on the league. Aberdeen is my team. I'm feeling confident before we go into the season. Uh, the pre-season friendly results haven't quite gone our way. I think we drew with Eula, uh, one yeah, you did. Um, and we also lost at home to St Johnston, which isn't great. But we look forward to it anyway. We can't look too much into those results. Um, I think we should do some predictions. But before we do, you touched on a couple of transfers there. There hasn't been a yeah. great deal of uh, transfers going on in in, in Scotland, sorry. Um, no. But there has been a couple of interesting stories which you touched on. Uh, Edward potentially leaving, Velos potentially leaving. Um, yeah. And also, uh, I think another one that I read was obviously who Celtic are going to be bringing in. Celtic seems to be obviously the team. We all know they've got the most money in the Scottish game anyway. Quite a yeah, lot of, of business going on there. Um, but an interesting story that I picked up on was uh, thereafter a, a striker called Anderson. Um, I, you'll have to, I apologise, I don't, can't remember his, his first name. Um, he plays for Union Berlin in the Bundesliga anyway. He's a Swedish striker. Uh, yeah. And Leo, who are also uh, after Alfredo Morelos, um, are also after Anderson. So if Celtic oh, okay. are able to acquire Anderson, this would then yeah. probably mean that Leo pursuing Morelos is more likely. So it's almost an incentive for Celtic to go and sign this striker because it will also mean that Rangers lose their best player which I think is an interesting dynamic. Yeah, that is a great kind of... That's a very interesting. Um, I did not know that at all. So yeah, no, that is really interesting. Uh, crazy. It's also crazy though to think that um, that um, Lola trying to sign to the... They're trying to sign either of these strikers so they clearly think either of these players are about as good as each other. So it's interesting that Celtic are able to sign a striker that is deemed to be as good as Morales, while Rangers are not able to keep hold of a striker as good as Morales. Yeah, I, I think I, I did have a quick look at the stats, and I'm, I don't think this uh, the Swedish lad maybe scores as much as, as Morelos. Um, and I'm surprised that he's maybe not holding out for an even bigger move than just going to the French league, because... You can imagine he'd probably score a lot of goals there and he'll also probably get yeah. European football as well. So kind of can't blame him in that sense, but he's sort of, he's revered at Rangers, isn't he? So it'll be I, interesting uh, to see. He had, um, sorry, he had a very poor end to last season and kind of post, post-winter break, he didn't really come back to the same player. 
and a lot of the kind of view by a lot of people in Scotland is that maybe it's time for a new challenge for the lad. Um, well, if the money the, so, the money is right, then I suppose that they have to. Yeah. But um, I can't imagine Stephen Gerrard being very happy that he's going to lose him. And I suppose the impact of it happening a week before the um, the beginning of the season, um, you know, that could have a huge impact on Rangers. And yeah, so yeah, exactly. I, I kind of I agree with you. I think if that happens, I can't imagine him having a very good season. Also, uh, this brings us on nicely to our our next point of first three predictions. They're playing us like at home, first game of the season, half past twelve. Yeah. Catch it on Sky um, or BT, one of those two. No, I'm <laughs> um, sorry. Sorry, just before we move on, Sky Sports have the exclusive access to all of Scottish football, so all games are on Sky Sports. It's their life. There we are. And it is, I think the very first game is, is it not Aberdeen and Rangers? Half past 12? It is, yeah, 12.30. Yes, it is. So, um, it's not something we've done too much of recently, um, the predictions. It's something we've wanted to introduce to the pod for a while. Um, I think we'll think of the fourth at another time. Let's have a little trial run next week going. We'll, we'll, we'll go with the fixtures okay. that we've got here. I've got Saturday's fixtures up so far. Have you got Sunday's fixtures to hand there by any chance? Yeah, so on Sunday, Celtic play Hamilton and on Monday, Ross County play Mudwell. Okay, well, we'll go from day to day. We'll start with Saturday then. Aberdeen yep. versus Rangers. I'm backing my boys all the way. I think they've had maybe not the best pre- uh, preparation over the last couple of games. But historically yep. in Scotland, obviously I, I can't profess to know much, but as I'm learning... This is the, one of the biggest games in Scottish football, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, and I reckon the boys will be up for it. Obviously, it's a bit of it's a bit gutting that there's going to be no fans there. But uh, yeah, I reckon the Dons are going to do them. Uh, are we going to go for score predictions? No, nah, we'll just say win, win, lose or draw. All right, then. I'm going to go for an Aberdeen win. Okay, I'm going to go for a draw. All right, then. We've got Dundee and St. Johnston. Um, uh, 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 Dundee United and St Johnston. Oh, Dundee United and St Johnston. Sorry, is this the team that plays in orange? <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's getting the jokes already, isn't he? See, I'm uh, induct me now. Get me, a, you know, get me my own tartan. Um, anyway, I'm going to go for uh, I'm going to go for a, a Dundee United win because I think they've come up and they're going to be enthusiastic. Yes, I agree. I'm going to go for a Dundee United winner as well. Uh, Hibernian versus Kilmanock. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go for you, lad, because I think you've played pretty well, haven't you, in the friendlies? Yeah, we've not been too bad. We've we lost to Celtic on Monday, but it was two second strings against each other. So you did go one up though. Yeah, we did go one up. I remember, yeah. you, I, remember, I remember you sending me the, the thing. Oh, and at that point, then told me the Hibs were going for the league. It was obviously <laughs> a joke. It was obviously a joke. Okay, St. Mirren versus Livingston. Who are you going for? Well, I, uh, well I, I, we just assuming that I'm going for Hibs in the Hibs game. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, you've got the shirt on at the moment. Like, if you pick, if I mean, do you want to go for a different result? What do you think? No, no, Hibs, Hibs are going to be Kilmarnock. That's a tough game, though, isn't it? Yeah, it's tough. It's a tough one to go. But no, um, I think we'll beat them. Uh, St Mirren and Livingston. Livingston. Uh, yeah, I'm just going to say St Mirren. Okay. <laughs> just my, Celtic my... Hamilton, probably the most uneven match in Scottish football. Got a fancy Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> so no, I, be, I imagine Celtic will not only win, I imagine Celtic will win that by four or five. Okay, I'm I'm, gonna, I'm not going to disagree with you there. And we've got our last game, which is Ross County Motherwell. Ross County and Motherwell. Um, I'm going to go for Motherwell on that one, just because they they will be the favourites. And as you said, third last season, going to be trying to start the season on the right foot. Yep, I'm going to go for Motherwell um, as well. So we're all in agreement, except for I'm saying a draw in the Aberdeen Rangers game. Yeah. And obviously, I'm so, backing the boys all the way. Okay, so let, let's just... I'm just going to go through that quickly. So, Aberdeen Rangers, Joel says win for Aberdeen. I say draw. Dungeon United St. Johnston, we both say Dungeon United win. Hibernian against Kilmarnock, we both say Hibernian win. St. Mary and Livingston, we both say Livingston win. Celtic against Hamilton, we both say Celtic win. Ross County against Mothwell, we both say a Mothwell win. Yes. Let's see how we do. 
I know. We'll make a note of those ones as well, just to make sure we uh, we keep up with it. And we're going to try and put something. We'll have to make some sort of yeah. forfeit for whoever. We'll make a league table. We're going to do this properly. I know it sounds wishy washy right now, guys, but we're going to make it happen. Um, no, I really enjoyed that. I, I'm, I'm actually it's given me something to look forward to. Um, and yeah, I'm definitely going to be watching that game on half past twelve next week. <laughs> I can't bloody wait. And also, Aberdeen do have the flyest kit in the division. There's no doubt about it. I'm copping that away kit. No, we're going to finish off now, um, as we do most weeks, with a good bit, bit of good news, I should say. Um, but yeah, no, this week we thought it would be, uh, there was a Liverpool fan who, who placed a bet at the beginning of the season uh, that Jesse Lingard would not score or assist for the entire of the Premier League season. And this bet would have cashed out for, I think it was 135 quid, is it all? It was £135, yep, that's that is it. correct. 135 quid, um, and it was up until the very last moment of the very last game of the season in which he lost his bet. Uh, but Paddy Power had the good grace to still pay out for that bet. They gave him his £135, and then this gentleman had the brilliant gesture to pay that straight towards the Black Lives Matter cause. So we thought, whoever, I don't even know his name, we should have shouted him out, really. He was um, called, he's called Anton, Anthony Johnson. Anthony uh, on, Johnson. Twitter, on Twitter, he's at fat underscore Tony 88. Big up yourself, Anthony Johnson. Uh, that was a really good gesture and just a really funny story, to be honest with you. And big up Paddy Power as well for paying out on a losing bet because <laughs> um, they found the humour in it, basically. So, yeah, yeah. that's us for this week. Um, again, I said I've really enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to the Scottish football next week. Um, and yeah thank you for listening make sure you tune into it yeah and just before we go glory glory to the high bees right Harry did you see that ludicrous display last night and he tee up someone in red and he goes to one it's a one-trap pass what's about that